This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we take you back to 1940 for, well, in my estimation anyway, one of the funniest Jack Benny shows. Uh, We'll get to that in just a minute, but first a bit about the man himself. Benny's long radio career began on April 6th of 1932 when the NBC Commercial Program Department auditioned him for the NW Air Agency for their client, Canada Dry. After which Bertha Brainerd, who is the head of the division, said... We think Mr. Benny is excellent for radio, and while the audition was unassisted as far as orchestra was concerned, we believe he would make a great bet for an on-air program. While recalling the experience in 1956, Benny said Ed Sullivan had invited him to guest on his program in 1932, and the agency for Canada Dry Ginger Ale heard me and offered me a job. With Canada Dry Ginger Ale as a sponsor, Benny came to radio on the Canada Dry program. Now, in tonight's show, we'll hear several references to Jell-O, the sponsor at the time. Benny's comic persona changed over the course of his career. At some point, he developed a miserly persona. This stage character was everything that Jack Benny was not. Cheap, petty, vain, and self-congratulatory. His comic rendering of these traits was the linchpin to the success of his show. Benny set himself up as a comedic foil allowing his supporting characters to draw laughs at the expense of his own flaws. Benny made what could have been unlikable into an everyman character. Benny said, I don't care who gets the laughs on my show as long as the show is funny. Well, tonight's show is entitled Childhood Fantasy, or Childhood Story, that is. In this wild rhyming masterpiece, Jack and the cast are transported back to their childhood with the help of the Blue Fairy, a clumsy, overweight fairy who appeared in several storytelling episodes. The Blue Fairy was played by Mary Kelly. Now, in actual fact, she had been an old flame of Jack's who had fallen on hard times. And he was unsure whether to give her a regular role and instead appealed to his friend George Burns, who put her on his show in 1939 as Mary Bubbles. Kelly, the best friend to Gracie. I think you'll get a kick out of her performance as much as I did. And boy, she had quite the singing voice, as you'll hear as well. I love the poetic response that Don Wilson had to the Blue Fairy. Well, I better stop before I tell you the entire plot. Here we go, then, with The Jack Benny Show. Fall is here. It is the sixth day of October, and Jell-O is back on the air. But where are all our little playmates? Where are Donzie and Filzy and Mary and Dennis and Jackie Boy? Ah, me, they're still asleep. For 15 weeks, they have been in the arms of Morpheus. Wake up! 
Wake up, little playmates. <laughs> Alas, they do not heed my summons. <laughs> However, we must get them up. But how? How can we awaken our master of ceremonies? How can we arouse Jackie Boy? Drop a quarter. <laughs> You're asleep. Alas, my efforts are unavailing. If only someone, someone with magic powers would assist me. But who? Who will it be? I'll help you, kid. <laughs> hmm. With my magic wand, I will awaken them. You will awaken them? Who are you? I am the Blue Fairy. Then you must hurry, O oh Blue Fairy. Wake them all and do not tarry. Fear not, my friend. I'll fly away. All of me and that ain't hay. <laughs> Well, here I go. Goodbye, Blue Fairy. So long, kid. Ah, here is Donzy. Wake up, Don Wilson, you big lug. It's time we heard a jello plug. Mm -hmm. Oh, thanks, Blue Fairy. I heed your call. Hand me my girdle from off the wall. Here you are. And here is little Dennis. Oh, Dennis Day, jump out of bed. On your feet, not on your head. Oh, um, I'm tired. Dennis, Dennis, wake up and get dressed. But gee whiz, Ma, I'm sleepy. Dennis, say you get right over to the studio. Mr. Benny will be furious if you're late. Okay. Do I have to wash behind my ears? What for? He doesn't. <laughs> That's a lie. That woman better watch out. Oh, little Phil Harris, come blow your horn. The cows in the meadow, the sheep in the corn. Corn? <laughs> that got him. Who are you, babe? I am the Blue Fairy. Well, come on in. <laughs> this is a fantasy. sound asleep in the land of Nod. But I, the blue fairy, will awaken her. Some fairy, she couldn't fly with three motors. <laughs> Mary, don't spoil the illusion. This is a fine way to start our first program. Well, can you think of something better? Anything. Oh, go ahead, fairy, and wake her up. When is she going to wake up the audience? Never mind. <laughs> Get going, fairy. Oh, Mary Liv, it's time you woke and told us all a funny joke. So open your eyes and don't be drowsy. Oh, boy, what a lead. 
Give me that wand. Ouch! All right, now wake me up. Jack Benny snores so rich and deep. For 15 weeks he's been asleep. But now he must awake, you know, and run his good old jello show. with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens the program with Shout, I Am an American. I know you're all anxious to get on with the show, and so for that reason, I'm not going to take the time right now to tell you about Jell-O. I'm not going to say a word about how popular Jell-O is with just about everybody the country over. I'm not going to tell you that Jell-O is simply tops for gay, tempting color and wonderful, extra-rich flavor. I won't stop now to point out that Jell-O is a quick, easy dessert to make or that it's delightfully inexpensive. And I'm not even going to mention that you can get Jell-O in six delicious flavors. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. I'd like to tell you all these things, ladies and gentlemen, but there just isn't time right now. So, on with the show. And, uh, oh yes, uh, there isn't time either to tell you that you ought to get some jello tomorrow without fail. played by the orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time this season, I bring you a man who returns to the air, fresh as a daisy, gay as a daffodil, modest as a violet, and rugged as a sweet pea, Jack Benny. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Jello again, this is your favorite flower talking. <laughs> And Don, um, Don, before we go any further, uh, what did you think of that novel opening to our first program? You know, where we're all supposed to be asleep for 15 weeks, 
Wasn't that whimsical? It certainly was, Jack. <laughs> and clever, too. You know, I wrote and produced it myself. Did you like the idea of the Blue Fairy? Yes, that was novel. Who is she, anyway? I don't know her name, Don, but she uh, came to us through the courtesy of the Great Lakes Dredge and Dock Company. <laughs> Her freight bill was something awful in there. <laughs> well, anyway, Don, here we are starting our seventh season for Jell-O. For seven years, you and I and our little gang have been with the same sponsor. Yes, sir. Seven years on one job. You know, Don, we're either loyal or in a rut. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? We might be with the same sponsor seven more years. Or tw ten. Or twenty. If you ever tunes in on us, we're cooked. Well, look who's here. Hello, Mary. Hello, Mary. Hello. How are you? Well, did you hear that ovation, Mary? Applause, cheers, whistles. I can't understand it. I can. Hmm. Same modest, assuming, unassuming little girl, huh? Fine thing for you to say. Aw, oh, Jack, who are you kidding? Every actor loves applause, and you know it. Oh, I wouldn't say that. Mary's right, Jack. There's a certain amount of ego in every one of us. Now, wait a minute, Don. I was in vaudeville for a good many years, and my only thought was to entertain. Applause meant absolutely nothing to me. Oh, no? Tell them about the time you're going to kill yourself in Toledo. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the ushers didn't applaud there. Besides, I had no intention of killing myself. And what were you doing with that rope in your dressing room? I hung my laundry on it. <laughs> now, let's not start our first program by being personal. Let's talk about something uh, else. What'd you do this summer, Mary? I was asleep till that dredge woke me up. Now, cut that out. You're not supposed to take that literally. It was just a delightful fantasy. Why, Jack, you ought to be ashamed of yourself writing a corny thing like that. Who said I wrote it? You did. Oh. <laughs> Well, as long as I'm trapped, I wrote the music, too. <laughs> anyway, it was a very novel opening for our first program, and I'm proud of it. Proud of it? Why, well, it didn't even make sense. Oh, it didn't, eh? Well, they said the same thing about A Midsummer Night's Dream. And look how successful that was. Yeah, I hear Shakespeare just built a home in Brentwood. <laughs> That's Abe Shakespeare from Universal. <laughs> Anyway, Mary, you don't appreciate how hard it is to get new ideas and things. You know, Don, I sat up night after night working on an idea. Hey, Jack. What? Here comes Sierra Sue. Oh, yes. Hello, Phil. Hiya, folks. Here's the man you've been waiting for. Get them hands out of your pockets. Well, Phil, hello. Oh, sure. He would ask for it. I appreciate that, folks. You know, applause is food for an actor, so thanks for the lunch. Ha <laughs> ha, it's a Lulu. <laughs> well, you didn't disappoint us, Phil. You came right back the way you left. <laughs> Not a colonel missing. <laughs> well, Phil, I hear you had another successful tour this summer on those one-night stands. Yes, sir. We covered about 16,000 miles, one town after another. Boy, that's what I call a tough grind. I wouldn't go through that for all the money in the world. What? You heard me. <laughs> I don't know how that guy does it. Phil, why do you only stay one night in a town and then move on? Love them and leave them. That's my motto. <laughs> 
I know. I saw tattooed on your chest. <laughs> you know, Phil, you ought to take a vacation in the summer instead of working and traveling around the country. Look at those bags under your eyes. Oh, uh, they're not so big. I'd like to have them pull a radium, that's all. <laughs> Grub. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Jack. I look all right, and so do my boys. Why don't you say something about the new suits they're wearing? Well, I've got to admit, they're all spruced up today. I notice another thing. They smell so sweet. Why, sure. They all got perfume on. Perfume, eh? That's all right. You'll never replace the old-fashioned bathtub. <laughs> never mind. With them, I'll settle for anything. But at that, Phil, I must compliment you on the way Hey, that... Jack. What? Here comes Baby Dumpling. Oh, yes. Hello, Dennis. Hello, everybody. Hi. Well, hello, Benny. Oh, hi. Well. Gee, was all that applause for me? Yes, sir, Dennis. Every bit of it. The people are glad to see you back again. Then I ought to get more dough. <laughs> Sit down, you money-mad ham. <laughs> it's a fine entrance you made, Dennis. The first crack out of the box, you want more money. You know, this is only your second year in show business, and if you ask me, you're doing all right. Well, Kenny Baker's got a yacht. Never mind Kenny Baker. <laughs> and it leaks. <laughs> more money, more money. Let me tell you a little story, Dennis. Something you ought to know and think about. When I was a kid your age, life wasn't as easy for me as it is for you. Well, I used to walk around the streets of Waukegan selling newspapers. I was hungry. Yes, and I was barefoot. I bet it was snowing, too. <laughs> you said it. Why, Dennis, when I used to come home at night after tramping the streets all day selling those papers, my little feet were swollen. And bleeding. Where'd you get the blood? <laughs> I had it then. <laughs> but I was happy, Dennis. Happy because I was struggling to achieve success, slow but sure. And, and that's why you should be happy, too. Gee, I'm sorry, Mr. Benny. Maybe I ought to take a cut. <laughs> A cut? Look at, look at his ears go up. <laughs> they didn't budge. <laughs> now listen, Mary, I wasn't going to mention it because I wanted it to be a surprise to the whole gang. But when you each get your check tomorrow, you'll find a raise. A substantial increase. I don't believe it, but say it again. <laughs> Bill, don't act so surprised. I, I gave you all a raise last year, didn't I? Sure, but right afterwards you sold a stock in your ostrich farm. My ostrich farm? What's wrong with that? They lay eggs every day of the week. And on Sunday, you take over. <laughs> Mary, May Company. <laughs> now, Dennis, if you can forget... Dennis, if you can forget about Kenny Baker's yacht long enough, how about singing a song for us? Okay. Go ahead, Dennis. Wait a minute. Come in. Pardon me. Are you Jack Benny? Yes. 
My name is Gross. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Why, no, no, I'm never too busy for an interview. Well, first of all, what are your plans on the radio this year? Oh, I don't know. We're going to keep about the same formula and style as in the past. Yet, we hope to be topical and keep up with the time. I see. And, uh, are you planning any, uh, are you planning any out-of-town trips during the season? Well, we'll stay here in Hollywood until the middle of December, and then we'll probably go to New York for a month. A month, eh? Yes. That'll bring you back about the, about the, uh... The middle of January. I see. And, uh, are you, uh, are you going to close up your house in Beverly Hills while you're away? Yes, I intend to. Yes. Well, I think that about covers everything. Thanks very much, Mr. Benny. You're welcome. Oh, by the way, what paper are you with? None. I'm a burglar. Goodbye. (laughs) Hey, come back here. Well, of all the nerve, sing, Dennis. Oh, Jack. What? You better take your mattress to the bank tomorrow. I will. Don't worry. Swallows come back to Capistrano. That's the day you promised to come back to me. When you whispered farewell in Capistrano, was the day the swallows out to the sea All the mission bells will ring The chapel choir will sing The happiness you'll bring will live in my memory When the swallows come back to Capistrano I pray that you come back to me. While the altar candles burn, my heart is burning too. If you should not return, I'll still be waiting for you. When the swallows come back to Capistrano, that's the day I pray that you come back to me. That was When the Swallows Come Back to Capistrano, sung by Dennis Day. And accompanied by Phil, I'll play any town under 2,000 Harris. <laughs> and Dennis, Dennis, that was really a beautiful number. Thank you, Mr. Benny. And I, I love the thought, When the Swallows Come Back to Capistrano. Don, isn't that a grand title? Don, When the Swallows Come Back to Capistrano. 
Oh, Jack, please. Don, are you rebelling? No, but I just think... Don, when the swallows come back (laughs) to Capistrano... Okay, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, whenever you swallow a dessert, make sure that it is genuine jello. That's better. Whether you live in Capistrano or San Luis Obispo, always come back to your neighborhood grocer and ask him for a package of tempting economical jello. It comes in six delicious flavors. So remember. All right, Dennis. Oh, I don't wanna. Dennis. <laughs> okay. When the swallows come back to Capistrano, you will find that jello's waiting there for you. Oh, Capistrano. There, that wasn't such a bad plug, was it? Did you write that, Jackson? I certainly did. Take a bow and I'll punch you right in the nose. (laughs) Why don't you? (laughs) Anyway, that was smart writing, Mary. You know, Don, I'm going to do a lot of that stuff this coming season. Write clever commercials and fantasies. All kinds of sketches and things. It's a lot of work, isn't it? Oh, I don't mind. In fact, I get a kick out of it. Hey, Jackson, what's the idea of all this writing all of a sudden? Last Tuesday, he found a fountain pen. (laughs) That has nothing to do with my talent. Say, Don... I suppose if he found a canoe, you'd want to be an Indian guide. (laughs) Silly, me, an Indian guide. Say, Don... A couple of feathers in your hair wouldn't hurt. (laughs) All right, forget it. I found a fountain pen on Sunset Boulevard. I put an ad in the paper. Nobody claimed it. So it's mine. What paper did you put the ad in? In the Louisville Courier Journal. It ran three days. Now, Don... Gee, does Sunset Boulevard go that far? Get a map and don't annoy me. Now, Don, if I can get a word in edgewise here, we're almost through with this first program, aren't we? Just about, Jack. All we have left is Phil's number, and that'll about wind up the show. Well, then, look. I'm going to run along. You see, uh, Rochester's downstairs waiting for me in the car, and I've got to rush home. You see, I'm writing an article for the Saturday Evening Post, and I want to get it off tonight. You must have found a bottle of ink, too. <laughs> yeah, and some stationery and stamps and everything. <laughs> Is it okay, Don? Sure, go right ahead, Jack. I'll take care of everything. All right, well, so long, Don. So long, fellas. See you next Sunday. Goodbye, Goodbye. Jack. Good Good Jack. See you next week. Well, come on, Phil. Let's get going. Okay, Don. Hit it, boys. Rochester, Rochester, watch out. You don't honk at red lights, you stop for them. Well, our bridge's in a delicate condition. Well, then you can shut off the motor. Boys, if I shut off this motor, even the blue ferry couldn't start it. Just watch your driving, that's all. Okay. I sure liked your program tonight, boys. You did? Well, that's good. Uh, Which gag did you like the best? The one about you giving everybody a raise. <laughs> that was a good one. 
It wasn't any joke, Rochester. I'm giving the whole cast more money this year. You are? Yes. Well, boss, has my status quo been affected by this bolt from the blue? <laughs> What do you mean? In other words, when I get my check tomorrow, am I going to be grinning or groaning? <laughs> now, Rochester, let's get this straightened out right now. When I say I'm giving a raise, I mean I'm giving an increase to my associates on the radio. Uh-huh. You see, you're connected with me in a private capacity. That is, you're in a domestic category. Uh-huh. <laughs> So in a nutshell, Rochester, I regard you as just a butler, not an actor. Just a butler? Yes. Boss, did you see our last picture? (laughs) Don't change the subject. Anyway, Rochester, I can't see where you have any cause for complaint. You're doing all right. Bill Robinson's got a yacht. I don't care what Bill Robinson's got. If you're not careful, you're liable to be first mate on it. <laughs> Never saw anybody in my life that complains about... Hey, wait a minute. Rochester! Rochester, stop the car! What's the matter, boss? Quick, stop the car! Hmm. <clears> hmm. <throat> uh, pardon me, miss. Are you going towards Beverly Hills? I said, are you going towards Beverly Hills? Hmm. Drive on, Rochester. <laughs> Oh, well. (laughs) Stop laughing. We're not home yet. You'll never give up, will you, boys? (laughs) Never mind. And getting back to the salary you're so dissatisfied with, let me tell you a little story, Rochester. When I was a kid in Waukegan, I used to walk around the street selling newspapers. I was hungry. And yes, I was barefoot, too. But I was happy. I didn't mind struggling because I knew that someday all my work... This is the last number of the first program in the new Jell-O series, and we will be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. Say, Phil. Yeah, Mary? How about taking me over to the Wilshire Bowl tonight? I'm taking the Blue Fairy. Oh, that's right. There wouldn't be room for both of us. Stay tuned for Sam Spade next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Sam Spade. The Adventures of Sam Spade Detective, a radio series based loosely on the private detective character created by writer Dashiell Hammett for the Maltese Falcon. The series starred Howard Duff as Sam Spade and Lorene Tuttle as his secretary, Effie, and uh, took a considerably more tongue-in-cheek approach to the character than the novel or the movie. Here's tonight's show entitled The Queen Bee Caper. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Me, sweetheart. Sam, where have you been? I've uh, been tasting the bitter with the sweet at Miss Wigginson's school for girls. Sort of a uh, special course in homicidal apiculture. Apiculture? Uh-huh. There were apes involved? 
Effie, where is your Latin? Apis, Apianus, Alvor pertaining to bees. Oh, bees, of course. It was a bee caper? It was a beekeeper caper. Oh, that's funny, sir. That's a honey. Effie, put these words down in your little book. Honey, sweetness, hives, combs, etc. Never mention them again. What? Keep things humming, sweetheart, and I'll be right down to drone my way through my report on the queen bee caper. Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. Jargon, this patois. Don't you think it's about time we spoke like educated people? You know best, Sam. Every time I visit one of our institutions of learning, I find out something I didn't know. Oh, Sam, that's incredulous. You just know everything. Yeah, I guess I do when you come right down to it. The bee, for instance. Bees are a genus of insects of the Hymenopterus order. What? Hymenopterus. Living in society is composed of one queen, or perfect female, a few males, or drones, and an indefinite number of undeveloped females, or neuters, which are the workers. That's me, I suppose. A neuter. Well, that's for you to say. Of course. And you know what else about the bee? What, Sam? Confidentially, it stings. <clears throat> Date, uh, July 10th, 1949, to Miss Elizabeth Cowley, Miss Wigginson School for Girls, Seacliff Drive, San Francisco. I wonder about girls sometimes. And that's bad, Effie. Bad. Oh. From Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the Queen Bee Caper, dear Miss Collie. I, uh, was singing a medley of sorority drinking songs as I opened the wrought iron gate, walked up the garden path, past those cast iron deer, and presented myself at the big brass bell pull beside that massive paneled door that stands guard between the outside world and your sheltered inmate. housemaid, wearing Jimity, let me in and led me to your office. I sat on your chintz-covered sofa and looked at your drapes for their thriving beehive motif and waited for you with my back half-turned to the open door. <laughs> yeah, hello, how are you? <clears throat> all right, all right, girls, break it up, break it up now. Come on, come on, haven't you ever seen a man before... Well, along now. You'll be late for physical ed. Go on. Miss Cowley? No, I'm not Miss Cowley. Oh, no, of course not. No, I was just hoping. You're Mrs. Spade, aren't you? Glory Thomas. I'm Miss Cowley's assistant. Yeah, nice day. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't bother to move. I'll lean over you. Mm. Put this report on the desk. Mm, sure. Miss Cowley will be here in just a minute. Oh, thanks. It's so warm in here. Next time, wear a mailman's uniform and a 50-year-old stoop. You'll find the temperature's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, yes, ma'am. See that you do, then. Oh, sorry. 
There seems to have been a misplacement of some of the hockey. Could you check on it, please? Oh, surely. Nice to meet you, Mr. Spade. <clears throat> I'm Elizabeth Cowley. You may sit down. Yes, ma'am. And Mr. Spade, I'll be painfully frank with you. A thief is at large in my school. Oh? Well, uh, you probably have a good answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Why not call in the police? I have a good answer, Mr. Spade. My girls come from San Francisco's finest and wealthiest families. Miss mm-hmm. Wigginson's has had an untarnished reputation for more than three generations. I'm sure. As headmistress, I must handle this matter with the utmost discretion. Frankly, I already know the thief. Are there any questions? Well, uh, only one timid one. Who is it? I regret to say a faculty member is to blame. Glory Thomas. She was in here a minute or two ago. Oh, really? Well, uh... Why, Miss Thomas, you find any of the loot stashed away in her room? Well, no. Uh, no, not exactly. I haven't recovered any of the stolen articles, but I'm sure Gloria's responsible. I'm certain she's the thief. You're just sure? I I thought perhaps you might establish definite proof against Gloria. You mean you, you want me to frame her? Oh, no, Mr. Spade. I, you misunderstand me. I don't think so, Miss Collie. Oh, dear. I, I was afraid this would happen. I told Ursula... But then I... All right, I'll ask. Who's Ursula? Mr. Spade, I... I think I can trust you. It was Ursula who instructed me to call you. Ursula Cavanaugh. You know the name. The Ursula Cavanaugh inherited all the real estate, lives in Cavanaugh Towers penthouse, hasn't set foot out of there in 20 years? Yes. Mrs. Cavanaugh is our school's benefactress. She is, of course, on the board of trustees. She is, moreover, a dear personal friend. Oh, I see. Oh, yes. We were classmates together here many years ago. Ursula's quite unlike myself. Married well, though a widow now. Rather aggressive. Frankly, she wishes to have Glory Thomas discharged. But her connection with the dismissal must not be known. Now, I don't suppose I can ask you to take the assignment now. I'm a detective, Miss Carly, not a frame-up artist. <laughs> I had to have my name called up in the lobby, and then two elevator trips later, I faced her on her penthouse terrace. Ursula Cavanaugh looked like a 1910 stock company lead out of Charlie's Aunt, smoking a black Italian stogie and gripping a cane like a shillelagh. Two men were on the receiving end of her black snake whip of a tongue. A youngish guy, stockbroker type, and an individual in a morning coat who looked practically nude without a butterfly net. Oh, you're a fool and an incomplete, Jelinek. I lost all patience with you ages ago. Not only are you incompetent, but you're also dishonest. Don't mind telling you that when the board of directors meets on Thursday, I intend to instruct well, them. Uh, really, to have... Miss Cavanaugh, I, I've tried not to uh, discommode you in any way. Uh, I endeavor in every detail to fulfill my responsibilities as manager of this hotel. Don't interrupt me. Uh, Auntie, I think you've got Jelinek and me all wrong. Now, the truth the is... The truth is, we... Gerald, you're both a pair of thieving scoundrels. Now, get out, Jelinek, before your weasel face ruins my digestion. Very well, madam. I remain at your service. Ah, no, that's no stunk. And as for you, my dear nephew... Uh, I think I'll toddle along, Addie. I ought to get back to the office. Control your little impulses, Gerald. I admire a little larceny in any man, but not at my expense. I was beginning to think I'd become invisible in that rarefied penthouse atmosphere. She hadn't even blinked at me while Jelinek slunk back to the lobby and Gerald toddled along to his office. The terrace was a riot of bloom. I don't know much about flowers, but she must have had them all there. Off to one side, a little man in a blue smock puttered around a wooden structure on a stand. 
I become aware of bees humming amidst the flowers when she finally spoke to me. You're Tom Spade, aren't you? Sam, ma'am, the fun-loving Spade. Take your photograph out of the other detectives. Look like you got spoke. Why'd you come here? Curiosity. I met Glory Thomas out at Miss Wigginson's. I liked her. I wanted to see the type that would strong-arm her out of a job from a safe distance. Spunky. Come over here, Mr. Spade. I want to show you something. Take it. Yes, ma'am. That'll do for now. Work at the other end of the garden for the time being. Yes, ma'am. Oh, Piggott, my garden and beekeeper. Most taciturn individual. You know what this is? Well, I didn't, but now I can see it's a beehive. Yes, my own beehive. Fresh honey from a tea and fruitcake every afternoon. Fine old tradition. Observe this hive, young man. Honeybees are the most intelligent of all insects, surpassing even the ants. And why? <laughs> Because one female controls a community of many, many thousands. I'm against it. Yes, Mr. Spade. The queen bee reigns supreme. The males are drones. Quite useless. The female workers perform all necessary labor. No waste motion. No dissension. Well, some of my best friends are drones, and I just can't I stand... I think one. you understand me, Mr. Spade. I wish Gloria Thomas removed from San Francisco for an excellent reason. My nephew, Gerald Long, the young man who just left here, has developed absurd romantic notions about her. Yeah, so you want the romance busted up. But if you try to break it up openly, your nephew might get stubborn and even marry her. On the other hand, by framing her as a thief, you ward off the affair until you can figure out some other dirty trick. I knew you'd understand me, Mr. Spade. I admire bluntness in moderation. Well, what do you say to joining forces with me? Just one thing, Mrs. Cavanaugh. Nuts. <laughs> Next morning, I put through a call to Miss Wigginson's school for girls. It had been my intent to talk to you, Miss Colley, to tell you I'd left my hat in your office, but somehow I found myself talking to Glory Thomas. And somehow our talk resulted in a cocktail date at the 10 o'clock scholar bar and lounge. I shouldn't have come, of course. Oh, uh, exam papers to grade, no doubt? Stacks and stacks. Ooh, soft, velvet-type hands. Well, what's this on them? Stains. I teach our girls chemistry, among other things. Mm-hmm. How about me taking on a night school class for the other thing? You're crazy. You don't need any education. Well, I can always use a postgraduate course. <laughs> You're really crazy, Sam. I needed this. We'll make a night of it. Maybe. Gerald won't object, then. What's that mean? Who have you been talking to? That hateful old woman? Mrs. Cavanaugh wants to put the boots to you, Glory. She called me in to frame you. I could kill her. Oh, easy now, Gloria. Don't talk to me. I thought I could take it. I thought I could be patient and wait while Jerry ironed everything out. But not now, though. I hate that selfish, domineering old woman. I hate her nephew, and I hate you. Well, that'll do to start with, honey. Now let's get down my list. I hate... Oh, the... let me go. I've had all I can take for one night. Oh, wait a minute, Gloria. I was... Hey, you forgot your bag. Hey! She disappeared around the corner as I came out into the street. It was starting to rain. As I stepped off the curb, I slipped and turned my ankle. As I limped onto Montgomery Street, I saw her disappearing into one of the tall buildings on my side of the street. It could have been the Cavanaugh Towers. I stepped and a half into the lobby thereof a few minutes later. As I came in, Jelinek, the manager, was getting off the elevator. He swatted himself several times in the neck and then went into a door marked private. No trace of glory in the lobby. I looked in the bar. She wasn't there, but Albert Piggott, the beekeeper, was having a stinger. Who? Now I'm beginning to feel good. I feel... Hey, who's this? I know that. Why, it's Mr. Spade. Sit down, Mr. Spade. I don't have time just now, Mr. Piggott. Tell well, me... Sit down, you... sit down. Oh, sit oh down. easy, easy. I'm... Easy. 
I'm fired. Have you heard? I'm fired. Just a worker, out of work. Turned out by the Queen Bee. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Pickett. I imagine Mrs. Cavanaugh wasn't too easy to work for. I told her to keep away from the bees when I wasn't there. Well, she's gone and disobeyed me. One of the workers must have stung her. She's got a temper, you know. Ooh, why? Must have smashed the eye with her stick. Bees wherever and all over. And then she fired me. When was this and why did she fire you? Oh, about, oh, just now, maybe half an hour ago. I knocked and then there wasn't any answer and then I let myself in. It was all dark. I couldn't even see her. Heard the bees, of course, but couldn't. Who was I? And I said, Mrs. Cavanaugh, you, you disobeyed me. And in this voice, this awful voice, she said, Mr. Pickett, you're fired. Get out. This awful voice in the dark. And Mr. Mr. Pickett, mind you, never before just Pickett this and Pickett that. And they, hey, where are you going? Hey! I didn't bother to stop at the desk to get myself announced. I took the passenger elevator and then operated the penthouse elevator myself. No hands. Nobody answered my ring. The door was unlocked. I went inside. Crossed through the empty apartment to the terrace. The rain had just stopped and the sunset cut a sudden shaft. First I heard it, the humming of swarming bees. Then I saw the overturned beehive. Then I saw Ursula Cavanaugh sprawled back in her chair, a stick and Italian stogie on the floor, while the bees clustered greedily over the fruit cake and honey set out on the table. I wondered if those most intelligent of all insects had the answer to Shakespeare's question, O death, where is thy sting? The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. to the Queen Bee Caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. Miss uh, Wigginson. Miss Carly speaking. Sam Spade. Oh, oh yes. You shouldn't have gone to see Mrs. Cavanaugh. I didn't make any promises, ma'am. Ursula was quite upset by your visit. Called me after you left her. Quite angry about it, Mr. Spade. Oh? She wanted to see me today. Our weekly half-day holiday, you know. But I simply couldn't face her. I'm sorry if I sound I finally managed to doze off after everyone left for the afternoon. Have you called before? No, this is the first time. I'm at Mrs. Cavanaugh's place right now. Indeed. Does Ursula wish to talk to me? She can't. I beg your pardon? It might be a good idea if you'd come over here, Miss Carley. Mrs. Cavanaugh's dead. What was that? Mrs. Cavanaugh's dead. And since you're her oldest and closest friend... Yes, Mrs. Spade. I'll come immediately. Well, you came on over, Miss Collie, but meanwhile, nephew Gerald Long arrived, also Piggott, whom I called down at the bar, and who sobered up with remarkable rapidity on hearing the news. Gerald was shaken up by his great-aunt's demise. We waited for the family doctor to arrive and watched Piggott and the bees back into the hive. 
You turned up soon after and tried to soothe Gerald's nerves. The hotel manager, Jelinek, also flooded in. The doctor diagnosed cause of death a shock from formic acid. The secretion bees inject into the bloodstream with their stingers. We all stood around thinking our various thoughts as the doc voiced this verdict. Piggott was the one who voiced an epitaph. She really knew nothing about bees, you know. The queen bee was all important, she thought. But there's always a rebel in every hive. The queen bee is always deposed sooner or later. The worker bees go on and on. But the queen bee can't reign forever. After that, we all left and went our various ways. Poor old Pickett shouldn't have said that. But he must have been a lot drunker than he seemed. Because he was found next morning in his garden in Marin County beside his overturned beehive, a victim like his late employer of fatal bee stings. If you think you'll get away with this. Don't threaten me, Mr. Long. I've been bullied long enough. I don't intend to lose my position here now Mrs. Kavanaugh's gone. I've taken all I could stand from her, and I don't intend to let you walk all over me. I'll do whatever I think needs to be done, Jelinek. Or if you're trying to insinuate I that I have... I can cause you as much trouble as you cause me. Maybe more. With what I found out about you now, Get out I... of here. Go on, beat it before I break... How did you get in here, Spade? Door was open. Well, if you're here to collect any kind of bill, I want to know what services you rendered. Nothing's rendered yet. But I figured you might like to know that Aunt Ursula was murdered. Murdered? Oh, you, 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 you can't say that. Not my whole Shut up, Jelinek. You need proof to back that up, Spade. I've got it. Piggott. What? Piggott's dead. How do you know? His doctor just called me. Yeah. Well, that's why I know your aunt was murdered. I've just been out to Marin. I had quite a session with that doctor. Well, where's your proof, man? Who'd want to kill her? Well, I... Oh, stop it. Practically everybody will know her. Uh, really, now, I, I must protest this disrespect to the members of the... Shut up! Go on, Spade, go on. Start getting specific. Well, specifically, Piggott's doctor, because of what I suggested, examined the dead man again, found the mark of a hypodermic, plus the fact that a concentrated solution of formic acid killed Piggott. Piggott's next-door neighbor said he'd been stung as often as 10 and 12 times a day. That man, he built up a certain immunization to bee stings. Are you suggesting that someone murdered him with an injection of uh, commercial formic acid? I thought I'd made that fairly clear. And what would the motive be? To keep him from talking about his employer's murder. I see. Well, is that all? Yeah, except that his neighbor told me somebody answering your description called on him this afternoon. Mike. Oh. Well, yes. But, babe, look here. I can explain Allow that. Allow me. I... Hello. Gerald, hello, darling. I'll be through in about an hour. Just got to check supplies in chem lab, and then I'll be home and show you what a cook I am. You better be pretty I'm honest. sorry. Just a second. Here's Gerald. For you, Gerald. Your wife. Oh. Uh, hold on a second, honey. Uh, Spade, look here. Now, you, you can't drag her into this thing. When did you get married? Yesterday afternoon. Husband and wife. No testifying, huh? <laughs> well, I don't think I'll need your testimony. Jelinek's face fell four inches into his ascot tie as he heard himself lose exclusive hush money rights to the above information. Pausing only to enjoy a hearty laugh at his discomfiture, I went on to my next and final port of call, Miss Wigginson's School for Girls. This time, there was no girlish tittering as I entered Miss Collie. No dewy young Amazons clutching hockey sticks in their grubby little hands. For a very good reason, as you told me. My girls are dismissed for the day, Mr. Spade. Because of poor Ursula, of course. 
really disrupts our routine. First, our weekly half-day holiday yesterday, and now today... Yeah, I'd like to talk to Miss Thomas in the uh, chemistry lab she is, I think. Very well. I'll take you to her. She knows nothing of our first meeting. I've talked to her. Oh, well, in here. Yes? Oh, what do you want? Thought we might talk. There's nothing to talk about. Well, we could talk about this hypodermic. Put that down. I'm using it for an experiment. Or, uh, how about a formula? HCOOH or CH2O2? What? That's formic acid. Mm Mm-hmm. Miss Cowley, you said yesterday was a half-day holiday. Did Miss Thomas stay here in school? Why, no. She rarely does on Wednesday afternoon. That's why Mrs. Cavanaugh had a visitor, didn't she, Glory? Did she? After you ran away from me? All right. I I did go up to see her. I was so mad about what you told me. I intended to hand in my resignation and give her a piece of my mind, and I... I, But she was dead when I got there. Oh, Glory, no. And I I just got panic-stricken and ran. Yeah, murder's a pretty scary thing. Murder? What do you mean, Mr. Spade? Mrs. Cavanaugh died from a hypodose of formic acid. Somebody familiar with chemistry would use that method. Then... Then that could mean... Mm-hmm. The acid could be made up in this lab. The hypodermic could be this one here. I didn't kill her. I, I didn't. You say you were scared. You were so scared, you ran all the way to City Hall and married her nephew. You found out. Well, Jellyneck found out first. He intended to squeal the old lady, but she was dead when he got back. He knew her will disinherited Gerald if he married without her auntie's approval while she was still alive. We married after she was dead. But, but that didn't matter. After I saw you, I told Jerry if he was any sort of man, he'd marry me, will or no will. He did. And yet this morning, he drove over to Marin County to see old Piggott. You think he was trying to shield me? I tell you, she was dead when I got into that room. I don't know anything about Piggott. One moment. I believe I recall that Mr. Piggott said Ursula spoke to him when she uh, discharged him. Glory, you must be mistaken about the time you entered that room. She couldn't have already been dead because... Yes, uh, she could have and was. The killer was almost caught by Piggott. She hid behind the curtain in the dark and spoke to him. Miss Cavanaugh was already dead, but... uh... I see. Mr. Piggott thought it was Ursula's voice, but it was yours, Glory. No, it was yours, Miss Collie. What? You committed both murders. You had access to the murder weapon. You had the half-day holiday to do it in. Mr. Spade... Even at that moment, the finishing school schoolmom had to say, Mr. Piggott. Well, I'm not sorry for it. Ursula misused her power shamefully. And now the queen bees deposed again. <laughs> You're brighter than most men, Mr. Spade. You, too, understood the significance of Mr. Piggott's remarks last night. Yeah, I could have been a little brighter a little sooner. You helped give yourself away when you asked me if I'd called you earlier yesterday afternoon. Why, Sam? How could she? Well, Kavanaugh bullied her since childhood. Then you came on the staff and your ability scared her. <sighs> Queen Bee being deposed and whatnot. When Kavanaugh wanted your frame, she saw a chance to get rid of both of you. She hoped her murder would look like an accident, but if it was recognized as murder, you'd be the logical suspect. Oh, you're much too clever, Mr. Spade. Let's get it over with. Yeah, let's. It's up to those drones at homicide from here on in. Hurry it and a report. Sam. Yes, Evie? How come Gerald went out to see Mr. Piggott? Well, Gerald didn't care about the will, but he didn't want to boot a fortune out the window either. Glory hadn't told him she'd seen his aunt, so he called on Piggott to find out when Piggott last saw Andy alive. Go type that up. I am completely well, and when you return, we shall Indian wrestle. Certainly, Sam. 
And now, listen to this. Shopping note. Tonight or tomorrow, get a family-sized bottle or handy tube of Wild Root Cream Oil, America's favorite hair tonic. <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dowd. Musical direction by Lutt Gluskin, with score composed by Rene and Pierre Garrigan. Join us again next Sunday when author Dashiell Hammett and producer William Spear join forces for another adventure with Sam Spade. Brought to you transcribed by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men and women and children, too. This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. It keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's non-alcoholic, Charlie. It's made with soothing lanolin. You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. Start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie. Keeping all the gals away. Hiya, Baldy. Get Wild Root right away. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Whistler, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.